Welcome to a special edition of the Red Carpet Cafe podcast. Uh, Today's episode is celebrating the career of Robin McLaurin Williams, also known as Robin Williams, the comedian. He was born on July 21st, 1951, and today with this airing would have been his 70th birthday. Uh, He did pass away on August 11th of 2014, but we will go into that a little bit more. Today is celebrating the career. Now, we won't have that long of a podcast. We could go on for days discussing Mm -hmm. all of the films and television shows that he had been involved with. But instead, Bree and I have chosen our top five, if you will, for each each of us. Uh, So, I am one of your hosts, Eric Root. And I am your other host, Bree Prout. And Bree, I gotta tell you, Robin Williams, to me, has had a huge impact on a lot of things in my life. I am old enough to remember the Mork and Mindy show, which was a spinoff of Happy Days. Mm-hmm. And had the pleasure Work of being able... Exactly. I had the pleasure of watching that with my father uh, when those episodes would air. And it was always so much chaos, but it was just funny. You couldn't help but not laugh at some of the things that that he did. And what was interesting about his style, in so many different types of comedies, he would kind of take over a scene. And... Mm -hmm directors would find themselves leaving some of his ad lib stuff in the film because they were so brilliant and you couldn't replicate it. It -hmm. would be a one take and done. Yep. And then you watch his comedy shows and (laughs) go, how is, is there like an energizer in his back? Because this man (laughs) isn't stopping anytime soon, but I'm going to kick it off with, one of my five show or movies that um, I have enjoyed. And that first one is going to be the Walt Disney animated feature film, Aladdin. <laughs> and I chose that one just because the genie and the way he played it, I, I can't help but wonder, and I don't have any confirmation, but I can't help but wonder if some of his stuff was ad-libbed in that as well oh it it definitely is a hundred percent it's just so brilliant and then they just managed to animate around Mm -hmm. him (laughs) i i want to say just on trivia aladdin is in my top five disney movies um and i feel like the trivia on it is that it was something crazy like 16 hours of him just making his goofy goofy character sounds and whatnot that they had to like cut back in order to put into the movie the archive reel on him alone would have probably have just taken a (laughs) a whole nice chunk of uh, area of vault space (laughs) but um that film was released in uh november 25th of 1992 and i remember seeing it in the theater that was a couple years after i had been out of high school Uh, but i thoroughly enjoyed it it I, I was at that age where, you know, you're like early 20s and you're going, oh, it's a Disney film for a guy. Going, eh, it's a Disney film. I don't, I don't have any kids with me. I'm not on a date. Um, but actually, I believe I ended up going out on a date that night to go see that film, which is uh, <laughs> even funnier. 
but then walking out of it going that was genuinely funny mm-hmm. like funnier look at look at everything that came out like mermaid came out before that little mermaid mm-hmm. and then beauty and the beast came out after that without question aladdin has always stuck in my mind as one of the funniest animated films even though there was a serious side to it but anytime you had robin williams in the scene you just didn't know what to expect mm-hmm. yeah um I also want to say, I don't think it would be fair if we rate these films. Um, the films that we chose, and I know the 15 list. 15 out of you, 10, recommend, recommend them all. <laughs> right, right. The, the films you chose and the films I've chose, we both know what they are. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there are some positives and negatives to each of them. Um, sure. But I, I think we're going to avoid going that route and just, I agree. Uh, again, keeping it with just looking at, at some of these heavy hitters for his career. So I know that when it came to the remake of Aladdin, I appreciate Will Smith as a performer. But anytime I hear a friend like me, I, I'm like, this, no. Like, I feel like, no. They could have casted someone else that could have hit those notes a little bit better. And I, I understand that Will Smith was making it his own. Yes. But forever the genie in my mind is Robin Williams. And it's not because of anything other than the comedy side of it. And I mm-hmm. know I know Will Smith has been Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Mm-hmm. And that was funny. comedy in him. Sure. He's had mm-hmm. comedy in a lot of movies. But he doesn't have that chaos factor mm-hmm. that Robin Williams had where he could take <laughs> literally anything and have you in stitches about it. And then mm-hmm. later going, why was I laughing about a ballpoint pen? I don't understand. But he had that kind of talent. And I think that's what threw me off it in that remake. But again, this isn't about that remake. What do you want to say about the original 92 aladdin film and robin williams i mean i've already kind of butted in sorry um stating that it really it's in my top five honestly between this and hercules it's my number one um and a lot of that is because of robin williams and the the charismatic humor that he brings to the movie Mm-hmm. I, when I was looking through the movies that you and I have selected and kind of going through IMDb, like for me, like Robin Williams was um, definitely a part of childhood. Like there's a period in like the early to the mid late nineties and even early two thousands where it was like movie after movie after movie with him in it. And I just remember always being so excited and looking forward to that because I knew that Robin Williams was a part of it. Um, and yeah, he was nothing shy of amazing in Aladdin. Some of the the mm-hmm. best lines and things that happen are because of what he brought to the genie. Absolutely. Um, so yes, without question, um, out of my top five, I could have easily have ranked it anywhere in there. I probably would have been a little hard pressed to put it as his number one performance for me. Um, But I felt like it was a good start for this particular tribute podcast. Um, Let's uh, let's roll into the first of your five. Which one are you picking? Um, Let's see. Aladdin was what? Ninety two. It was. You don't have to go in chronological order because I guarantee you I'm not. Okay. (laughs) Um, 
You know what? I'm going to start with what dreams may come. Ever since you and I decided that we wanted to start this podcast, I've been pushing and pushing for this movie. Okay. Um, not only, so again, growing up, Robin Williams and like, I mean, for most people growing up, Robin Williams was comedy. That's all you ever associated him with. Mm-hmm. In all of my movies across the board, I tried to pick things that were a little bit more outside of um, what what you immediately think of when you think of Robin Williams and what dreams may come is one of those. He definitely has um, here and there some one-liners in the movie. Um, he's got his signature like thumb to nose, sticking his tongue out like he does in, you know, in Jack, in um, Patch Adams, um, mm-hmm. you know, just, just his, his silly, funny side. Um, but this movie is so, everything about it completely sucks you in from him narrating it and the tone of his voice, the way that he's telling the story and painting this picture. Mm-hmm. And then no surprise, um, this movie won an Oscar in 1999 for best effects, visual effects. I believe it. Because mm-hmm. it is so stunning. Anytime someone talks to me about like visual effects of a movie, immediately I think of what dreams may come. And I just, in reflection on my 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 life with Robin Williams, this one is always in my top five there's another one that should be top five that I didn't even pick and I'm kind of upset with myself but I'm also happy with my with my collection here like you said before there's so much that you can talk about um and yeah so what dreams may come it also stars Cuba Gooding Jr Mm -hmm. um great film great film great film so for those that aren't completely familiar with that particular film. Robin Williams is married to uh, Annabella Sciorra. Uh, They have two children Mm -hmm. and basically their life, their dream life ends when their children are killed in a car crash. Yes. And then four years later, Chris is also killed. That's played by Robin Robin Williams. Williams. Uh, while they're kind of basically mourning for four mm-hmm. years over their kids whom they love dearly. Mm-hmm. And once Chris is killed, um, also he is he in is, a car accident, sort of. Right. But he's unaware that he's dead and he's confused and that no one will interact with him. Mm-hmm. He's lingering on earth. And it isn't until at some point that he has that epiphany that, oh, no. I'm yes. dead. Yep. That he ends up going to heaven. Yes. And he starts learning about his heaven. It's correct. His heaven. Yes. He's going to he's gone to his heaven. Um, but this in effect sends his widowed wife over the edge in depression and grief, where unfortunately she takes her own life. And Cuba Gooding Jr., who's kind of like that guardian angel showing him the way through his heaven, going, look, you, you, Annie, you can't see her. She's not here. She's in another place. Mm-hmm. And that other place straight up is hell. And he is determined that he is going to enter hell 
to try and bring his wife out of it. And every single person that he comes in contact with is like, don't do it. You're going to think you're going to make a breakthrough and then something's going to happen. But if you spend too much time there, you will lose yourself and you'll be gone. It's a deep movie, really deep movie. It really is. There, there gets to be a point where it is, it's a movie that you're, you're quite literally in tears over right continuously but a big piece of his life on earth with his wife was that she was this painter and there's this line and I'm searching for it because I figured it would absolutely be a quote on IMDb he he um he's a doctor his wife is a painter and um she paints this painting of like their their dream life their dream home which changed when they lost the children, but it was uh, this, this, just this beautiful, um, this beautiful oil painting with this small house on the hill in the middle of this beautiful field of purple and blue flowers. And he's talking to this young patient that he has, who's, you know, about the age of his, his daughter when she left the world and discovers that she has migraines. And so he starts talking about how paintings are the most interesting thing that we ever experience in life other than the brain. Right. And I'm totally paraphrasing because the way that he says it and what the quote is, is beautiful. And so when he finally begins to accept that he is gone and his wife needs to be able to move on and mourn because she can sense him. Mm -hmm. He talks to her constantly and she can sense him. And he realizes that he needs to let her be with herself. Mm -hmm. And he wakes up in this beautiful oil painting. He goes to grab a flower and it squishes like a sponge soaked in paint in his hand. Mm -hmm. And just the visual of that is like, wow. And over time, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character becomes more and more clear, which is kind of ironic because in the painting his wife was painted as a blurry figure Mm -hmm. and Cuba Gooding Jr. has become this blurry figure to him. And he can never see, he doesn't see Cuba Gooding Jr. as himself until he fully accepts. I have died and this is where I shall remain. And different, the different characters that he's meeting and seeing range from his children, their dog, Katie, um, just, uh, an eclectic group of people who are really trying to help him navigate what is now his quote unquote, like afterlife, beautiful, beautiful movie. It takes something that's so sensitive and, um, and hard to think about at any age in life and just really puts this, not to sound cheesy, but this beautiful picture behind it. Now I'm going to tell you, uh, and I'm going to be real really real here for a moment this film i will be later too <laughs> no that's fine um but this film is to this day a hard one for me to watch i enjoy it it's a good movie but it's a hard one for me to watch this movie was originally released october 2nd of 1998 that is exactly five months and seven days before my mother had passed away and she didn't 
die of anything other than natural causes. I mean, it was a heart attack. She was at work. Um, but I was 27 at the time. She was 54 years of age. And it caught all of us by surprise because she wasn't sick. There was no signs. It just happened. And um, I had already seen this film, but it was approximately six months to maybe a year later when it came out on DVD. My sister and I got a copy of it. And uh, my father, who was having a, a very tough time with the loss of our mom, um, we watched it together and my sister and I were thinking, well, I mean, it does have kind of a sweet message. Maybe he'll be okay with it. Um, yeah, we had to shut that down. We, mm-hmm. we, we couldn't get through the film. He, he had a, he had a bit of a challenge getting through it. And, uh, you know, still to this day, I have associated that particular film release around my mother's passing just because of the topic of death. Um, but still good movie, great acting. He had some comedic moments, but it was definitely a lot more serious mm-hmm. uh, than some of the other, other films that he had done. Yes. I would say anyone having experienced a significant loss. Um, it's a, it's a tough movie. Yeah. Um, my second offering out of my five is a uh, film that actually kind of was surprisingly good. Um, It was released in 2002. Um, Specifically, it was released May 3rd, 2002, at the Tribeca Film Festival, but May 24th, everywhere else in the U.S. Almost two hours long. It's a film called Insomnia. Um, In this film... American psychological it's American psychological thriller directed by Christopher Nolan and written by Hilary Seitz. It's a remake of the 1997 Norwegian film of the same name that star this one stars Al Pacino, Robin Williams, Hilary Swank, Moira Tierney, Martin Donovan, Nikki Cat, and Paul Dooley. The film revolves around two Los Angeles homicide detectives investigating a murder in Nightmute, Alaska. And uh, I got to tell you, to establish a little bit further on there, you've got uh, detectives Will Dormer and Hap Eckhart are sent to assist the local police in their investigation. But this particular place in Alaska, when they go, it is perpetually daylight. There is no Mm -hmm. nighttime. And that's why they call it insomnia, Mm -hmm. because they even warn I mean, Al Pacino gets warned going, hey, just know that this is going to mess with you. You're going to be like, it's bright outside, but it's 3 a.m. And um, it's going to mess with your sleep patterns. But they were in the midst of hunting down uh, a murder suspect in the form of Robin Williams. Both of them were intense in this film. But I remember watching it in the theater going, I feel like I've been up for five straight days watching this film (laughs) because the looks on their face, how they sold it. I felt like I was their type of tired. It was crazy how uh, convincing this particular uh, film was in their performances. Have you had the opportunity to see insomnia? 
So initially I was thinking, no, like this is one that I haven't seen, but as you're telling the story and what it's about, I know I've seen it, Mm -hmm. but I have not seen it more than once or enough to be like, oh yeah, then this, then this, then this. But as you're telling the story, I'm, because I'm also a big Al Pacino fan, huge Al Pacino fan. Right. And I'm, and I'm, I'm replaying some of this in my head. But even though this is a remake of a foreign film, I think one of the reasons why I appreciated this film was th- that this was the first time I've seen it performed or this type of a a performance from Robin. I mean, now he has, of course, played other roles that have been intense, one of which will get covered later. But this was, you know, I didn't go into this thinking, oh, I'm going to be cracking up laughing no instead uh we'll be squinting through the uh, haze of the days the endless days of alaska trying to figure out whether or not you know pacino's gonna catch up to you know his his murder suspect but overall again phenomenal performance um what do you have second on your list Second on my list, I think I'm going to jump to 1991. We've got a two hour and 20 minute film. We've got a phenomenal cast. We've got people like Maggie Smith, Bob Haskins, Julia Roberts, Dustin Hoffman, (laughs) obviously Robin Williams. I am talking looky, looky, I got hooky. Uh, (laughs) um, that's a great film yes this is a movie that actually came out prior to aladdin so after aladdin and flubber and all of that and being like i like robin williams i want to watch it my parents are probably like holy crap she wants to watch robin williams but he had some great kids films and this is one of them it is rated pg because there are maybe some like dams thrown in there i'm sure wonderful film it is so much fun like I every time I watch it I just think like like using their imagination and like having the food fight um all everything everything about it and so like the cool thing that I liked about this take on the story of for those of you who don't know it is a um a retelling kind of twist on Peter Pan and the Um, the idea how much fun do you think that like those kids had a blast like probably the highlight of their life is working on this movie with Robin Williams and everybody else involved um so anyway the 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 baseline for this is that um Peter Pan has decided to go home with Wendy he doesn't stay in Neverland Mm -hmm. and as a result Peter Pan starts to grow up. So the movie opens without you knowing that. You don't know that. You meet Robin Williams um, and you meet um, you meet his family. Uh, you meet his kids. You meet his wife. And you meet Grandma Wendy. Wendy and you meet um, oh gosh who loses his marbles? 
Uh, Toodles. Toodles loses his marbles. You meet yeah. Toodles. And, you know, your typical drama of, um, you know, kid coming into teen years, kind of not wanting to be around dad, being upset with him, dad's working a lot, all, all of the things that, you know, you associate with real life. And um, someone comes in the middle of the night to awaken the children and it's Tinkerbell. She's coming back for Peter. And you over time realize that Peter Banning played by Robin Williams is Peter grown up. Peter Mm -hmm. went back to be with Wendy to have, to, to have a family, to be a real boy, not a lost boy and to grow up. And he's forgotten everything. He can't fly. He's a grumpy old man. He's all the things that Peter said, you know, we would never do. So when he gets back to Neverland, because it's Hook, she comes back. Ah, Hook takes his children because Hook is looking for Peter. And Tinkerbell comes back to let Peter know to be like, you know, we got to figure this out. So um, his son starts to take a liking to Hook. He wants to be Hook's son. His daughter is almost experiencing everything that like Wendy experienced while she was in Neverland and the lost boys don't even recognize him. And Mm -hmm. so he's got to prove himself to the lost boys. And it's all about like, I believe in you, Peter, just like you're supposed to believe in Tinkerbell. Like I believe in you, Peter. So it it totally embodies this idea of like faith, trust in a little pixie dust, Um, fun movie, very humorous, some tense fantasy scenes just amazing performances by everyone that I have since mentioned. Um, (laughs) Just fantastic. And there's some cameos too. There's a George Lucas, Carrie Fisher cameo. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, There are the, there's some fairy dust going and there's a couple kissing in the fairy dust and it's George Lucas and Carrie Fisher Um, directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, Always one to, to, um, to, to never one to disappoint um yeah phenomenal Aww. you know uh, hook is one that i feel like my household revisits uh at least once a year mm-hmm. uh, i know it, my wife uh genuinely enjoys that film um we own it in various incarnations whether it's dvd or i believe digital as well i could be wrong um or if it just pops up on HBO Max. It, it is a good movie. It's one of those where you can't help but not stop and go, okay, yeah, I'm going to continue watching that. <coughs> and and it, it's, it's corny. It is so corny, but it is so... It's so funny at the same time. It, it's not like... It's not a stupid comedy, you know? It's not potty humor. It's not poo-poo humor. I know you probably stopped and said, Rufio, Rufio, <laughs> Rufio. Bangarang. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> exactly. I know. Um, I just, I just said that there was no like potty humor. And then now I'm thinking about them sitting at the table and him and Rufio going, going back with these insults. And he starts off by calling him like, a substitute science te- no a substitute chemistry <laughs> like that's and it's gonna be so insulting and he's calling them all these like weird things and then what what is it he calls them a a lewd 
crude, rude, or lewd, rude, lewd, rude, crude, chewed up piece of food. <laughs> uh, there's just so many. You know, that movie, though, it, it still, it has its cute moments. I mean, you feel for the kids and then the, you know, at the end when they get reunited with with each other as a family and mm-hmm. um but you know dustin hoffman of course he plays hook over the top and in some cases it does kind of stifle robin williams um to some extent but it's not until he starts feeling more like peter pan that he yeah, starts to he uh, you start that. to see that that comedic side come crawling back in oh yeah uh, so for my next film, I chose a film that was released December 17th of 1999. It uh, is a film called Bicentennial Man. Mm. And um, it stars, of course, Robin Williams also has Sam Neill in it. And um, in this particular film, uh, Richard Martin, played by Sam Neill, buys a gift. It's a new NDR 114 robot. The product is named Andrew, played by Robin Williams, uh, by the youngest of the family's children. And let's see, Bicentennial Man follows the life and times of Andrew, a robot purchased as a household appliance program to perform menial tasks. As Andrew begins to experience emotions and creative thought, the Martin family soon discovers that they don't have an ordinary robot. Now, this film was not necessarily met with acclaim. I can tell you that even on Rotten Tomatoes, it's ranked at 36%, which is pretty bad. Wow. But what's interesting about this film is that if you look at what it deals with, is it deals with humanity, slavery, uh, sex. It covers all kinds of different topics. And in this case, you have this robot AI that's kind of uh, become self-aware and wants to be more human to the point where he lives like 200 years. And even though he's gone through all of the various, he's gone from being your metallic robot to having implants and having, you know, Uh, synthetic skin he looks virtually human he falls in love with one of the descendants of the martin family over time and it's not until basically it gets near the end where he goes look i've seen so many people and i'm paraphrasing i've seen so many people come and go through this lifetime that i love this person and if she's going to die, I want the plug to be pulled on me. And that's the poignant moment where they're making a decision whether or not they're going to classify him before his unplugging as having been an actual human being, Mm -hmm. which is kind of what the whole point of the movie was. He wanted to be, he didn't want to be lesser than a human. He wanted to be a human. And, um, I mean, I don't know that we're touching a lot of the subjects that they are now. Like, it's not like it was foreshadowing things that we're dealing with now, but you never know. I mean, in this Mm -hmm. day and age, you got Watson, you got people out there that are creating AI robots, um, unfortunately, some for nefarious purposes, Mm -hmm. but there are some that are being created 
to try and think like a human. And who's to say that we couldn't be staring down these same issues within the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Um, but I, th- I thought it was great because you did get to see both the comedic side in him, but also that dramatic side once again. Have you seen Bicentennial Man? I have. Uh, this is another movie that I saw years ago. Um, and oftentimes when I think about it, I am apt to um, mix it up with artificial intelligence, <laughs> yeah. which came out pretty much right after right. that when he plays Dr. No, who speaks to the human artificial intelligence, which is like, you know, a step up from where Bicentennial Man is. I think um, AI was also a good film. Yes, it, it was very good. Um and even though they're similar in concept to completely different storylines, um, it what I found so intriguing about that movie, though, is the um, the intensity and the emotion that you feel and the attachment that you feel to a robot. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. um, yeah. And there have been other movies out there where you you know you have those connections like that but this is just a little bit different because it took that that um humanity one step further particularly when he knew what love was right um so yeah uh so what's next on your list then who i'm going to break it up and i'm gonna jump into my favorite type of movie and that's okay. a psychological thriller. <laughs> this one was quite so intense that it's only a hundred and thirty or a hundred, an hour and thirty six minutes long. Right. Um. Really good movie. I know that it was up for. Let me glance real quick at the awards that it was up for. Come on. IMDb on my um my iPad versus my um my cell phone mm-hmm. is a little different. Well, yeah, I guess you still we'll, haven't we'll said the name. Towards... You still haven't said the oh, name. Oh, sorry. One hour photo. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. One hour photo. Uh, and for those of you that are newer to the world, one hour photo is in <laughs> reference to film processing. See, cameras used to have roll of films that you would use up and then you would have to take to a place to have it processed to make pictures as opposed to just whipping out your Android or your iPhone and taking them instantly. Yeah. I I have, I found recently a camera from, it looks like cameras that I used to take, take when I would go to camp mm-hmm. um, that I never turned in. I think I could probably take maybe three more photos on it, but I'm so afraid to like turn it in and like get it developed if I can even find a place. Because I'm like, I don't know what stupid stuff I was doing as a kid. Do I really want these photos? Walgreens and CVS, I believe, are still places that will develop photos. All right. Well, that's a fun fact, by the way. I might have to to pull that out. So anyway, Seymour Parrish, played by Robin Williams, Mm -hmm. is um, this quite older gentleman who works as a photo developer uh, right from IMDb. Uh, written by Anonymous, a mentally unstable photo developer 
targets a middle-class family after his obsession with them becomes more sick and disturbing than any of them could imagine. So here's a movie with Robin Williams as our uh, main character. And those comic reliefs, little one-liners that you're looking for, you will not find them in this movie. This is Um, not a comedy. (laughs) No. Even on the cover of the VHS, (laughs) (laughs) um, it says that um, USA Today rates this as Robin Williams' finest hour. Uh, Chicago Sun-Times says that it is a, um, a haunting performance and it was, um, it, it had some views too as a part of the Sundance Film Festival. So, um, yes, um, Cy, Seymour, he becomes Uncle Cy. Essentially what's happening is he is a photo developer in this multiple family has always come in developing all of their film through him. So they know who he is in that they know his name when they come in to say hello to him and he knows them because he's seeing their photos and they come in all the time but what's happened is there's this one particular family that he has become obsessed with I mean there's no other way to say it he's fixated was what I came to mind but yes Mm -hmm. and all he wants is to be he wants to be in their family and so he starts you know whether it's a little gift here and there when they come to pick something up, flipping through the photos so that he sees like, you know, he feels like he was there. He was at the birthday party and this like down to like the color of the cakes, like things like that. And he's also, you learn over time, saving these photos for his own like safekeeping on his wall. Let's call it what it is. It is a possible CSI crime scene mural in his apartment. <laughs> Minus of all of the all of the the red yarn going from picture to picture. Right. That. No, but I mean he's got actual physical copies of every photo this family has yes. ever sent in. Yeah, that's not creepy. That's that's <laughs> no, crazy. not at all. That's crazy. I mean, I wonder honestly, like after this movie, I would totally be inclined to believe that like photo processing took a dive for at least a couple of months. I would not be shocked. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Um, you know, that, now that brings us back to your original statement, though. Maybe you do need to take that camera in, get it developed, and see whether or not they say anything. Like, they'll be like, hey, uh, what's up with those photos? You'll be like, I don't even know what's on there. They're just going to be like, can I, first off, can I actually turn this in? Second, what waiver do I need to sign so there's, like, no judgment passed and I get all of these <laughs> Like, well, I mean, it was, like I said, I think it was at camp. Okay, <laughs> so if you were it. underage, though, and if it had anything inappropriate, they would probably have to call the authorities. <laughs> Even though you are well above the age of 21. I would not be inclined to believe that the authorities would be called, but I would be inclined to feel some harsh judgment from the people behind the counter. Let me make that clear. <laughs> I, there's no... There's no uh, FBI photos <laughs> to be found in there. Uh, all right. Just um, but yeah i should just turn it in and see but anyway so that's that's actually the premise of probably panic season two but that's a whole nother story (laughs) anyways um so in this movie you know like i said like getting gifts and becoming a part of the family there's times too where like not quite 
uncut gems level of anxiety but mm-hmm. I reached a high level of anxiety while watching this movie just because like he's entering their home and there and right. because it's a psychological thriller sometimes you're like he's dreaming this this isn't real and then they walk in and you're like holy ha, ha. yeah that was me censoring myself <laughs> sure um but his performance yeah, yeah. was was and, convincing oh my gosh it's yeah. chilling like it gives you chills it's it's unlike anything he's ever done before which is 100% why i picked this for my five movies i wanted to talk about his best movie ever no his favorite movie he's ever done of mine no but unlike anything he's ever done ever amazing True. and it was so good so the next film on my list that I chose uh, is a movie that I really enjoyed watching in the theater. I was working for the theater at the time. Ooh. It came out March 5th, 1993. It is a film starring Robin Williams, of course, along with Joan Cusack, Robin Wright. Uh, let's see, LL Cool J, Jamie Foxx. Donald O'Connor, Michael Gambon. It's a movie called Toys. Also has a great song that's really difficult to find by Tori Amos called Happy Workers, which is a song that you hear right in the beginning. Uh, It's basically, it's a high-tech toy factory that falls into the hands of an army general who turns the models into killing machines. The deceased owner's children know what's afoot, and although apparently powerless, have to find a way of bringing down the nightmarish empire that is being constructed under their noses by their uncle. Because it's actually their uncle who's doing this all. So this film had a budget of $50 million. It only brought in 23 in the domestic box office, which can, it gives that a consideration of a flop. You're talking about a 30% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But over time, with streaming DVD, it actually has profited. Another fun fact, a film that was considered a huge flop, for example, the Walt Disney Company, was John Carter. John Carter was considered a huge flop because of the amount of money that it was spent on it. But if you actually look and Google it, over time, with streaming and video sales and overseas sales, it has eked out a profit. So it wasn't a complete bomb. It just took forever to make its money back and show a profit. But that's the same thing that this movie, Toys, um, has occurred. So what I thought was interesting about this film is it gave Robin the chance to do the silly comedy, but it wasn't slapstick. A lot of the stuff he did was so subtle that he didn't, you know, didn't point it out. It was just like, it was there. He would just say it and you'd be like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) That's the best kind of humor. Agreed. Agreed. When you're not laughing at your own stuff, um, it's, it's so much better. But if you can poke fun of yourself while you're doing it, that's what made him king when it came to comedy. Mm Mm-hmm. But with this film, uh, Joan Cusack, I'm not a big fan of a lot of her work, but it was still interesting to see her play the part of his quote-unquote sister, which come later to find out 
was an invention of his father's in order to give him someone to be able to grow up with. And, um, but LL Cool J, uh, you know, <laughs> his little military tactics, like going in the bathroom and you'd see the door and you'd see the feet, but he's actually like a stall or two over <laughs> was a uh, pretty yeah. ingenious, uh, but I enjoyed this film just because it also kind of reminds me around being around that holiday time, even though it was released in March, it had that holiday feel because it's a toy store and there's the whole fight sequence that's happening on the, the, uh, the floor that looks like a big model of like New York city and um, snowing and such like that. The attack of the toys. Uh, Mm -hmm. But what was your, your thoughts on the movie uh, toys? My biggest takeaway from this one too, um, not on the same level of what dreams may come, but even the visuals for this one are fun and intriguing mm-hmm. of this, like this different world. Um, like the elephant uh, statue out in the middle of the field that's blowing bubbles and laughing. Yeah. What is <laughs> What's the tagline on this one? Laughter is a state of mind. Yeah. Um, I do think though, the, uh, the creating of war toys and, uh, and and recruiting children for his his army um i'm not sure too many people would watch that today and laugh as they did back then unfortunately i mean it's meant to be funny it's not meant to be taken seriously but i do think that it would it would not perform as well if it were released today obviously assuming that visuals would be up to today's standards but um that was really that was the well, one all that the I thought war about. toys all the war toys you need are basically on you know xbox and ps5 <laughs> true that so you know I'll play some cod later <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh all right so you got two left which one of the two are you dropping next um i gotta go with the classic let's go jumanji all right um jumanji by all rights i would believe that this this is did i see happy days growing up yes i watched aladdin loved it yes but it wasn't until jumanji that i was at an age jumanji came out i wrote it down 95 so Mm -hmm. i was seven seven six seven depends on the year or the month that it came out Um, I was six or seven. So at that point, I, in watching that movie, um, began to actually recognize Robin Williams as the actor that he was. So then when new movies with Robin Williams would come out, I would get more and more excited because like I knew who he was and thinking about actors as a whole, he was someone who from a young age, I, I recognized often. (laughs) And of course, Tom Cruise. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, and and this movie is kind of what started that. In this movie, in my mind, my six, seven-year-old mind is, um, again, visually, the effects of everything. Um, I, I would classify it as ahead of its time. I think that it was very unique. Um, most people are familiar, I would think, with the original Jumanji. Right. Uh, and if not, I, they definitely are with the two current films. I'm not. I okay. I am a what? 
original gal okay like i i i like kevin hunt i like Dwayne the rock johnson i like them a lot but i love robin williams and i love jumanji okay i've never seen the remake of the karate kid the two dirty dancings that came out like there's certain if they came out with a new gremlins i will boycott okay like i just i'm all about the original like if it's not broke don't fix it okay okay and that's how i feel about jumanji all right hold but on time out time out time <laughs> out hold on there kitten now wait a second jumanji yes fantastic film original idea great concept mm-hmm. the whole start to finish on everything about that film is incredible but I got to tell you, you are missing out on the two Jumanji films because they're not a remake. It's a continuation. It's a complete... Oh, is it? It's, it's a continuation. Like it's, no, it's a continuation because they even reference Robin Williams' character, at really? least in the second one. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Do they reference him in the second one because so many people like Moa boycotted the first one? No, no. Well, now keep in mind when I say the second one, I mean the one out just after Jumanji. So you had mm-hmm. uh, I, I'd have to look them. I don't even remember one of Welcome those. Welcome to Jum- the jungle. Yes, Welcome to the jungle, and then Jumanji, like the next level. I think it is. Yeah, and like then that. now level one is coming out or just came out. Oh, okay. So I'm talking about the first film post original Jumanji actually makes a reference to Welcome his to character the jungle 2017. yes mm-hmm. uh, obviously because he's not here in real life in order to be able to be a part of it they did reference him though in there um and i believe there may have been another reference in the follow-up movie after that they're actually pretty funny and <sighs> If it had been a maybe, re- if it if had I been a remake, time, I will watch it. But my time is precious. I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I'm actually telling you, you're missing out on a couple of funny films. One of which definitely gives a nod for sure uh, right. to Robin Williams's original character. Well, back but anyways, to go ahead. Yes. Um. The. I mean, when I just think of the, the again, the visuals, like I'm a sucker when it comes to visuals and movies. That's one of the like key, key ways to make me be like, yeah, that's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, getting sucked into a board game. Okay. Right. The, the look of the factory back in the fifties, then to what was at that time considered modern day. And then going back to the factory that was then shut down and these shoes that are all over the place, but like authentic looking old shoes, um, finding the game. Um, the, the younger brother, um, when he, uh, when he cheats and he's Mm -hmm. like, I didn't cheat. I just, I tried to drop the dice on this. They're like, okay. (laughs) She's like, okay, honey, well, that's that's considered cheating. Um, turns into a monkey. And just the way that he, the way that they've done his, his, I guess, his makeup, his costume makeup, his prosthetics is 
believable. Like, I mean, right. it's not some monkey tail that you got at Halloween USA. Like, it is like <laughs> in his ears, spirit, his the Halloween tail, store. They all react to his emotions, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, the stampede. Nothing stands out in my mind from that movie other than getting sucked into a board game because that's terrifying. Um, the stampede, like that stands out in my mind above all. And so, yeah, the story that came with it, um, Robin Williams' character from being like, you know, he was a, a teenager, I believe, a, a young, a preteen teenager when uh, Alan Parrish, when he gets sucked into the video game. And then 20 some years later, he is in present day. But he's been in the jungle for 20 years, like <laughs> battling all of these things that start coming out of the game. Like he's so, um, you know, you know, like you would imagine anyone would be. He, he has no idea what's going on in the world. And there's the um, the um, David Allen Greer pl- plays Bentley. He's the officer mm-hmm. who he kind of has run ins with as a kid. And then starts having multiple run-ins with him once he's as an adult and out of the game and he's like the way that he looks at him when he's like it's me alan (laughs) (laughs) and just the way that he says it and the look on his face and the cop like loses his mind like screaming loses (laughs) his mind it's so good there's so much humor in it and it was something that we watched multiple times as a family growing up. I still have it on VHS in my collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really easy for me to, to rewatch this movie because um, I also have a VHS player. It's very <laughs> important. That's a very key, key, key ingredient here. Um, and yeah, we growing up, we watched this multiple times as a family. It was always probably at the top of the list when we were trying to find a movie that we could watch together. Very cool. It is a fun film. I mean, it's designed to be a film for families. Um, So my final entry of the five coming up here is a film that was released in 1987, December 23rd, actually, 1987. It was a little unknown, low-budget film called... Do it, do it, do it. Good morning, Vietnam! Yes! Uh, basically the synopsis on that is radio funny man adrian cronauer played by robin williams is sent to vietnam to bring a little comedy back into the lives of the soldiers after setting up shop cronauer delights the gis but shocks the superior officer sergeant major dickerson played by jt walsh uh with this irreverent take on the war uh while Dickerson attempts to censor Cronauer's broadcast, Cronauer pursues a relationship with a Vietnamese girl named Trin, who shows him the horrors of war firsthand. The movie itself obviously talked about a tough subject. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at some other films that have touched base on Vietnam, like First Blood, uh, which was uh, the first Rambo film, when the way my dad explained to me from his experience with the Vietnam war was that one, it was an unpopular war. Mm-hmm. The The country didn't want it. Mm-hmm. Those that went were looked down upon for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the last say 10, Which 15 blows years. My mind because uh, there was a draft. Hello. Correct. But, but 
if you look at it, it really hasn't been until the last 10 to 15 years that all uh, vets of all mm-hmm. wars have been mm-hmm. embraced as patriots Agreed. where the eighties and nineties were not kind to Vietnam vets. It just, it wasn't. Yep. And so I think I remember this film fondly because I would watch it occasionally with my father and it made him laugh about a topic that he it wasn't funny and now Mm -hmm. keep in mind he was in the navy so he wasn't first you know he wasn't on the the you know the the battle lines seeing the horrors firsthand but spent enough time in an unpopular war and it's going to have an effect on you in general um but a fantastic film Mm -hmm. and you know (laughs) just that iconic line of announcing good morning vietnam i mean mm-hmm. you you see it time and again through like the academy awards when yeah. they, they do their symposiums and um highlights of the past and or if you had the opportunity before its demise to go on the great movie ride at disney's hollywood <laughs> studios it was featured in the montage as well um but yeah this was one of those movies where Um, It had a profound effect on my childhood uh, with my relationship with my father watching it. It gave me the ability to learn more about what he experienced, but also keep in mind, he didn't share a lot. Not really. He had a few medals and I'd ask him about it and he really wouldn't talk about it. Like it just Mm -hmm. was the thing that you didn't talk about. Um, But what about uh, your opinion on good morning vietnam so um naturally because of the nature of the film um i didn't see it until i was a lot older um it came out in 87 i was i was not born yet um and in my in my family too um like watching narrated our movie was like "Mm -mm, you're not 17 yet what are you thinking Um, so I was much older when I first got introduced to this, but even, even when I first saw it, I didn't get it, grasp it, understand it as much as I do now when I watch it. And, and you're absolutely right. I think one of the biggest and most special takeaways from this film is to be able to look at something that was very serious and, um, reminisce in a different way. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and I think too, just in general, whether it's war or insert tough subject situation here, to be able to have something to look forward to mm-hmm. and something to um, laugh at um, enhances the experience and makes it less tough. So I thought that this was also just looking at it fundamentally um, a really great take on bringing light to what life was really like without having to um without having to I don't want to say like depress everybody but like not having to focus only on such seriousness such serious things um but it's a great movie if you have not seen it I would highly recommend it I am glad that it made our top 10 list Uh, it to me it's a film that should be just listed as an essential anyway yeah and i'm not necessarily talking about like 
you know, Turner classic movies, TCM's essentials, but it should be an essential film. Like if I had to talk to somebody who had never even heard of film before, be like, you need to see this one. And of course all the star Wars films, but this one specifically (laughs) uh, from his collection, because it it showcased, it showcased again, his range and another film that this film is another one of those films where he had that ability to have some of his ad lib stuff added into the film after the fact, they just like, it's gold. You can't help, but not put the stuff in. Um, So we still got a full catalog worth of films. What's your final, final one to bring it home? Final, final one. All right. Uh, This is honestly, even over what dreams may come, this is probably one of my favorite Robin Williams movies because it takes, it, it's very uh, heavy on the dark humor, which is right up my alley. Um, and it takes a lot of serious subjects and um, has a little bit of comic relief. Um, anyway. It, it is it is a rated R movie. It's important to know that depending on who you're going to watch this with. Um, I would not recommend watching it with mom and dad. Uh, it came out in uh, 2009. It's an hour and 39 minutes long. Um, and it's... <laughs> I'm trying to tread lightly on how to explain all of this. Um, have, you, have you seen this one? Can you start with the name of the film? Oh, shoot. I'm so bad at this. Oh, my gosh. It's World's Greatest Dad. Oh, that movie. (laughs) That movie. Have you seen this one? I have to tell you, I have not. Okay. So um, the premise is that we've got um, Robin Williams, who plays Lance. Lance is a high um, high school teacher. And his son, uh, Kyle, is also attending that school (laughs) and um Kyle is a teenager so Kyle does his own thing in his room all of the time and his dad is learning that it's very important to knock before walking in and learns that there Uh are some dangerous things that (laughs) Kyle is starting to do Uh uh, that he's trying to uh, get him to stop doing Kyle's also an asshole like no one at school likes him everyone like he's a bully um he's Uh, a loner damn that Uh, Kyle yeah like he's he's not a good dude um and there comes a day where Kyle um Lance finds Kyle's body after a what's listed on imdb as a humiliating accident Mm -hmm. um so his son has unintentionally killed himself oh i'm guessing that's not the funny part of the film no but it's one of the the way that it happens is just like you know? (laughs) So, um, it's hard. I'm trying to not laugh at this, but like, you got to see the movie. Um, anyway, 
So what happens is... So there's circumstances surrounding the death of the son that would be... Because, again, I haven't seen the film, but mm-hmm. the, the circumstances surrounding are controversial to the point of yes. borderline humorous, but, like, dark humor. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, so suddenly because of the way that not even just I'm not even going to say teenagers the way that people when something happens when someone dies or and there's something to gain from it people come out of the woodwork sure somebody who can profit from it yes and that's what this whole movie is about so it starts with um him noticing that uh that these kids are coming up to him like oh kyle this kyle that oh kyle 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 like how great kyle was okay so they were singing his praises right and even lance is like but kyle's an asshole like what are they talking about Mm. so he ends up covering up the his backtrack they come out of the word woodwork because he creates a fake suicide note okay because he doesn't want anyone to know how kyle really died i see okay so it's a fake suicide note and it gets published in the like school newspaper or something like that holy cow and so everyone starts coming up to him and like how how special kyle was to them and Mm. you know and and this is a kid that was like getting like wedgies and swirlies like oh kyle was so wonderful so he starts taking this storyline. So he's 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 been trying to write books his whole life, right? He wants to be an author. So he starts publishing Kyle's quote unquote journals. Like the memoirs? Yes, that he's writing himself. Kyle oh, didn't do any of this. My goodness. So Lance okay. starts publishing his son's life and his thoughts and everything that was going on and you know, and so people are like, oh, if I only knew or, oh, like he was just so wonderful. Insert here. Um, and then eventually he get, it gets to a point where he's like, he can't do it anymore. I mean, he's like going national. Like he's getting okay. interviews. That's crazy. And it gets to a point where he's like, it's time to let this go and tell the truth. Because he's starting to get frustrated. He's like, Kyle wasn't a good dude. Like, what are these people talking about? Like, he's getting so frustrated. And so by the end of the movie, he basically, he just sheds everything right down to like his clothes. He just, he just rids himself of all of it. And you're like okay. right there with him, like just dropping it all. And um, because well, of the dark humor in there yeah. and, um, and just the, the way that it's written, honestly, I don't feel that it's written in a manner that is um, like poking fun at at suicide or anything no, like that no no i mean as um, it is i'm looking and i i don't put 100 stock in rotten tomatoes <clears throat> but i can see that rotten tomatoes is currently sitting at an 88 percent fresh um, so i mean it, it looks like most uh, imdb gives it a 6.9 i don't agree with that okay um but, <coughs> but with with that i'm looking in it apparently it's available to watch for free 
on the following apps for those that might want to like myself i'm actually thinking about it you can watch it for free on voodoo you can watch it for free on pluto tv Tubi, crackle uh fubo tv is subscription amazon prime is subscription philo subscription youtube it's two dollars and 99 cents apple tv 3.99 but there's a couple of free channels out there like i've got voodoo i've got tubi I may have to check mm-hmm. this one out uh, just to see uh, what it's all about. Yeah, I have to admit, I don't, I didn't know much about it, and it came out in two thousand nine. Huh? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's just just this this guy who's just rotten to the core, and then gets immortalized. And God, it's really funny. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> now, now I, you've you've piqued my curiosity on that. That's for sure. Um, I can't wait for your text messages over the next three days when you're like, I finally watched it and <laughs> OMG. <laughs> you know, and if you think about it, again, I, I had mentioned it earlier. He has this huge catalog of films that he's done. And I'm sure there'll be those that'll question, well, why didn't you talk about Goodwill Hunting? Why didn't you talk about Dead Poet Society? Why didn't that's, you talk yeah, about Birdcage? Why didn't you talk about? Yep. Because we would literally be here for hours on be end. Here forever. So we went through those those films that we thought were more important to us. Now I'm going to tell you something that only a handful of people know. I have a list. It's a private list of films that I have chosen to personally um, deny myself watching like i'm never gonna watch them the the list has evolved over the years it's not like i sat and said oh hey let me take a look and see films i don't want to see it's just evolved but i'm going to i'm going to let you know that there is a robin williams film that is on my list that people love that i will never watch i have no desire to watch it i've chosen to pretty much deny myself this film no matter how amazing it is and my reason behind it is because when i was working in the theater that's all that anyone would talk about was this film they would be like oh my gosh it's the phenomenal it's great it's this and that blah 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 blah. i heard I it so I, you're talking about. I heard it so much that i i told myself specifically saying i am never going to ever watch this film if there was ever a party for it, I would not show up. If it was on, I would leave the room. I have no desire whatsoever to ever watch Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, that was not going to be my guess. Never, ever, ever. Wow. They can, play it. they can play it at my funeral, but I'll be dead. <laughs> oh, no. And I wouldn't watch it. <coughs> That was the first one my mom said when I told her that we were going to be doing this. And, and it's it could be the most amazing, funny movie of all time. It's funny. But the whole point is, is that when you hear hundreds of people coming out and basically telling you 
you have to do this. You have to go see it. You have to watch this. This is phenomenal. It's going to change your life. It's going to bring about world peace. I'm paraphrasing. That's not really what they said. But these are the types of things that when I hear, I said, I will never watch this film. I don't care how amazing it is. Barring barring divine intervention. Right. It kind of sets you up for potential failure though too like if you go and thinking this is gonna be like the best movie you've ever seen and then you watch it and you're like eh Meh. you know you're, you're more judgmental right exactly but um Your yeah mind is so has open so and, and i don't have a very long list of films but that is definitely one that's on that list of films i will never watch ever because i don't have any desire whatsoever not to say he's My not guess brilliant is gonna in be- yeah. Oh, he's he he is brilliant in it. Sure. There's some there's some great. What did you think I was going to say? Quotes from that. Death to Smoochie. <laughs> no, actually, I mean, I know that Death to Smoochie wasn't that great of a film, but I did see it. Um, and part of it was that uh, working at a place that at the time that had video rentals and it was there, I went ahead and watched it. But I remember walking away going, mm, eh but um nonetheless though uh again storied career and he would have been he would have been 70 years old today who knows Mm -hmm. what else he would have brought us to the world but unfortunately um there is that topic that that uh we didn't really talk about but it was suicide that uh, caused caused him to leave the earth yeah. So for me, um, I mean, anyone who knows me, um, friends, family knows that I've always been very open about my own struggles with um, battling anxiety and depression. And it's something that I've had for a really long time. Um, but it wasn't until I was much older that I even really learned or realized what it was, was diagnosed. And that was right around the same time that. Um, that this happened with Robin Williams and growing up and having so many movies and memories, um, pertaining to him, um, just knowing about him in general too. And like all of the really great, amazing things that he's always done for people around him. Um, this is one, uh, celebrity, not only death, but celebrity suicide that like that, it it really hit hard for me. Like it was I personally felt affected by it and and I don't normally say things like that when I don't know people but I mean it just made me feel knowing that I was going through being diagnosed myself um that I I, all I could think was like doesn't he know that he could have called me right like there's Hmm. like think of all of the people that he's touched in some way, like, doesn't he know he could have called? So like, that was always, and even still is just so like hard for me to think about. Um, but God, did he leave behind a legacy, something Indeed. that people are going to enjoy for years? Yeah. Uh, I equate his uh, passing um how I felt uh, the same I felt about Kurt Cobain from the lead singer from Nirvana when he I remember where I was at when I heard that you know uh Kurt Cobain had uh allegedly killed himself I'm not going to get into the semantics of whether or not he 
was forced or whatever that there's a lot of drama surrounding that but i do remember thinking wow we will never hear anything new from him that hasn't already been recorded um and the same for robin williams i mean there comes a point Mm -hmm. where you know his uh his work had already been fully released but you know suicide is a, a very serious topic and it affects a lot of people um and granted there there are other medical conditions like depression and such that are evolving around it but it's important mm-hmm. to uh get the help that you need if you're feeling the depression absolutely absolutely um that being said i think that it's only right to share with our listeners the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline phone number in case you or anyone you know may be in need of this. And that is 1-800-273-8255. And that, I think that this goes without saying too, that I'm always available too. If anyone needs anything, feel free to reach out to me. That's right. Her email is still unicornlover1989 at uh, AOL.com. No, I'm just kidding. First of all, it would be 88. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, I was close. Um, no, we're on. We're both that. We're on Twitter, Instagram. That's very true. Um, my Twitter is underscore underscore Brie, spelled like the cheese. Underscore underscore mode. And <laughs> mine is er root. So it. You can find us on Twitter without any difficulty um, on Instagram, uh, Red Carpet Cafe Podcast. Can't can't yes, miss sir. us. Um, Cannot. But that being said, uh, thank you for tuning into this uh, special edition of the Red Carpet Cafe Podcast. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Eric Root. And I am your other host, Bree Prout. Robin, we love you and miss you. And please don't forget that... The Red Carpet Cafe is a member of the Be Kind Rewind Podcast Network. You can find us on the web at bkrpn.com. <laughs>